We, uh, we will be in Genesis chapter 1 this morning. If you want to take a Bible and turn there, it may take a little while to get there, but we will end up there uh, sooner or later. Genesis 1, um, toward the end of that first chapter. Like I said to the, the children there, the word for the day and for a few Sundays to come is identity. Identity. Uh, I approach that word with some trepidation because, honestly, I've heard it spoken so much over the past few years that I'm, I'm rather sick of it. Uh, for the first, I think, 45 years of my life, I could probably count on both hands the number of time I heard that word. And now it's everywhere. Maybe you know what I mean. Uh, first, we are constantly reminded, it seems, about the threat of identity theft. The danger of people either stealing or at least for a little while borrowing your identity and my identity. It's serious business uh, that some of you, I am, I'm sorry to say, have had to deal with. Fortunately, so far, nobody seems to want to be me. <laughs> uh, I'm trying not to take that personally, but that's, that's okay. We hear all the time, though, about the potential theft of our identities. Uh, and then... You, you hear a lot, for the past decade or so especially, about identity politics. Uh, the notion that certain groups of people either are all or should all be part of certain political parties. Uh, all Christians are Republicans. All Jews or African Americans are Democrats. That sort of thing. You've heard that. I have, too. The more polarized we get as a nation, the more you're going to hear, I think, about stuff like that. And then we all hear, of course, more and more and more about people adjusting or adapting or altogether changing their identity to whatever they choose. Uh, the term, of course, is identify as, and then you can fill in the blank from, from there. Uh, a person of a certain race chooses to identify as a member of another race. People of one gender identifying as members of the other. Uh, a person of a certain ethnicity or color choosing to identify as that of another. Even people of a certain age identifying as someone of a different age. Uh, no kidding. You remember that guy? It was three or four years ago from, I think it was the Netherlands, who tried to legally change his age from 69 to 49 because he didn't feel as though he was 69. <laughs> it's no joke. It goes on and on. But, and, and it really is taken very seriously by, by some in our society. But let me ask this, okay? Uh, even apart from Jesus or faith or scripture or, or or anything that, that we're about here. What happens to the simple notion of objective truth when changes of those sorts are allowed to happen? The societies who embrace this stuff, you know, what happens to objective truth? What happens to reality? Um, and, and let me say, the societies who embrace it are not being fair about it. When a 70-year-old says he's identifying 
when he can legally change his age to 50, the sophisticated members of our society just applaud that. But what happens when that 70-year-old decides he's going to now identify as a 7-year-old and enroll in second grade? I mean, what, what happens? How about when someone living decides that from now on, he's going to identify as someone who's dead and try to claim his life insurance benefit. Where are the lines of identity drawn? And who gets to draw them? My sister-in-law is a teacher. She's the same age as me. She's 53. Her state education department, where she lives, is basically forcing teachers to completely embrace anything and everything someone else chooses as their identity. A little girl can identify as a little boy. She can identify as a cat. She can identify as a hamster, whatever. You name it. The teacher has to abide by that little girl's wishes regarding her identity. So I told Christina, I said, well, then submit to your principal, your decision, to identify as a 67-year-old teacher who has 35 years teaching experience and is now retiring, expecting her full state retirement benefit. If she really tried that, we all know where that education department's inclusivity and broad-mindedness would end, don't we? Even if you take the Bible, you take Jesus, you take faith out of the whole thing, still there are limits. There is reality about identity. There are lines. The question is, who gets to determine the lines? Who draws the lines? Who determines identity? What makes up identity, anyway? And can we change our identity? Or can we not change our identity? Or can we change certain parts of our identity? Is our identity something that we are left to discover? Is it something that is assigned to us? Is it something that we're supposed to create ourselves? More people than we may think in our culture, are really struggling with those sorts of questions today. Which is why we're going to talk about this for, for at least a, a couple of few weeks. Uh, because the Bible and the church really can contribute meaningfully to this discussion and this debate in our culture. For those who will listen, God really does have something to say about, about identity. Now, let me say... One other thing here about manner, okay? One thing Christ followers need to grasp in discussions like these is that people who embrace some of these ideologies about identity that seem so strange to us, those people, they are not our enemies, okay? They are people who God loves and who God wants to be redeemed but who are struggling with ideas that are contrary to the way God made the world to work. And so insulting those people and calling those people names does not serve the cause of Christ. Okay? At the same time, though, neither does saying nothing 
serve the cause of Christ. It's neither kind nor is it loving to affirm people's errant understandings of identity. Any more than it's kind and loving to let your children play in the freeway. All right? Certain practices are just destructive. Broken ideologies hurt people and they kill people. Just as surely as a speeding car will kill people. And those dangers have to be identified for what they are. But not in anger or resentment or arrogance or, or conceit. We, we speak, rather, out of love for those whom they hurt. That's the position of the church. The way forward is to speak the truth in love. The Apostle Paul puts it that way in Ephesians 4. To really love someone is to tell them the truth. Just because he wants to jump off the roof of the house, if I tell my little boy, sure, that's fine. You won't get hurt. (laughs) If I say that to him to affirm his behavior, just because he doesn't know any better, that's not a loving thing for me to do. We have to speak truth, but our truth speaking had better be grounded in genuine love for that person. Because if it isn't, it will never land in their hearts. Because the old saying really is true. People don't know, don't care what you know until they know that you care. People know a fraud. When they see one, people know when they're nothing more than a project to us or, or an outlet for our arrogance or for our anger about the direction of society, whatever it is. And the church has been guilty of all those things through the ages. I mean, God himself, John says, did not send Jesus to condemn the world. He sent Jesus to save the world. Through him. So before we go out to correct somebody else, we better honestly and carefully examine our motives, examine our manner. Because whatever we say or do apart from love isn't going to make much of a difference for Jesus in our world. At the same time, uh, let me say too that even with the purest motives, some will still take great offense at anything we might say that disagrees with them. Uh, Even if we approach with true kindness and and true love, some will accuse us of hatred and, and intolerance. I mean, look at what they did to Jesus. About that, we can do very little. Except when, except we, what Jesus did, we could do what he did. We keep engaging. We live We interact with them, we keep loving them, we keep praying that they might see truth for what it is. So all of that kind of underlies our response as as followers of Jesus to this issue of identity. Um, So what is identity? And from where does it come? Uh, There are a lot of nuances to this. You could spend days just talking about that question alone, but I would suggest to you that at its most basic level, identity is our sense of self and self-worth. It's what gives us value as persons. Our greater culture, here in the United States at least, has determined this in different ways through the years. Uh, It's actually undergone recently a pretty dramatic shift. Uh, It used to be For generations, really, that most people's identity was determined by their roles within the greater community. 
generally speaking, people did not do things simply because they wanted to or because it felt good to them to do that. People generally did things because the things they did helped the good of some greater group of which they were a part. My grandfather, Pup, we called him. Everybody called him. The neighbors called him Pup. Everybody called him. Vocationally, Pup was a tender. You know who that is? Somebody who mixes mortar for, for masons laying brick and block and, and stone. Now, let me tell you, Pup did not do that because he'd always dreamed about mixing mortar. Okay? Uh, he did that because he had to provide for his family. And that was a job that he could get. He was also a Sunday school teacher for years and years. He wasn't a trained teacher. From what I hear, he wasn't particularly a gifted teacher. (laughs) But he taught Sunday school simply because the church needed him to teach Sunday school. He also gave a lot of time to helping other people because there were lots of poor people around him. They lived in a poor section of town and, and they had big needs, people around him. And so he gave a lot of time to helping his neighbor. So I I doubt Pup ever gave much consideration at all to what he liked to do because he knew what he had to do for the good of those around him. And that's what shaped his identity. Now, in these past few decades, our culture has changed. These days, most people, not everybody, but most people have turned inside looking to their own dreams and their own feelings and their own desires and their own aspirations in determining their identity. Who will be? What we'll do with with all different parts of ourselves has become more about pleasing ourselves than about pleasing the group of which we're a part. Now, let me say, taken to excess, both of those approaches to identity determination can lead to problems, right? Uh, People can be overly concerned about pleasing the group, which can lead to unreasonable and unfair and and unhealthy sacrifice of self and, and actually the misuse of personal abilities and gifts that God has given to us. Um, People can also be overly concerned with pleasing self to the neglect and, and, frankly, even the destruction of the group. But Scripture says that there is another way. Uh, instead of allowing the preferences of those around us or our own preferences within us to determine our identity, the Bible teaches that we need to receive our identity from the one who made us in the first place. In other words, it is God who determines who we are. It doesn't matter so much what those around us think. It doesn't matter so much even what we think. Our identity comes to us from God. And and this is, finally, where Genesis comes in here this morning. Uh, God, here in Genesis... God tells us our identity at, at, the, at the basic level, okay? God tells us who we are right here. You can read it right through that text that Bob 
read for us. First of all, we are made in God's image and likeness. And we have been given dominion over the creation. Verse 26, right there. That tells us something about our value in God's eyes, doesn't it? Regardless of our appearance, our talents, our age, our color, or anything else, we have intrinsic value as human beings to God. And not only that, that verse tells us our God-given place in relation to the rest of creation. We are worth more than other elements of creation, simply because God says we are. We are not equal to dogs, cats, and hamsters. We are different. We are worth more to God than they are. You see, God sets the pecking order, and humans are at the top of it. Genesis also tells us that we were created male and female. Verse 27, which means there are two distinct genders in spite of what our contemporary world thinks today. Verse 28 there says that we were made to flourish. We were made for relationship. We were made for intimacy. We were made for friendship. We were made for development and and even for leadership. Now, due to the brokenness of our world, some of these things aren't always possible. I know that. We'll, We'll talk about that. But God made us with those things in view. Also, verse 28 there tells us that God blessed us. We carry, we bear the blessing of God. And on down in verse 31, we are included in God's assessment that all he made is good. And in in the case of humanity in particular, very good. That's what he says, after we were created. Very good. What's all that mean? It means that we as people, though we have certainly mistreated creation and we have mistreated each other, From time to time. Still, we are not, people are not, as some would suggest today, the scourge of this world. Quite the contrary, in fact. We humans are those who carry God's special blessing. According to God here in Genesis, we, each of us, we humans are made by God in his image. We are of great value to him. We are ranked above the rest of creation. We are male or female. We are intended to flourish, grow, relate with one another, and lead. And we are very good. Very good. That's who God says we are. That is the basis of our identity, according to God. Now, I think that is news that our world needs to hear today. And I think that's the fact because look at where all this attempted self-determination of identity has taken us. And so quickly, uh, we live in a time of just enormous increases in depression and, and feelings of worthlessness and hopelessness. Suicide, you know, drug addiction, confusion about our purpose and place, and and frankly, just the overall cheapening of human life in every way. Into this atmosphere of identity confusion, 
This from Je- this is great news. It is liberating. It is affirming. It is freeing. We are made in God's image. We are of great value. We are ranked above the rest of creation. We are either male or female. We are intended to flourish and grow. And in his opinion, we are very good. Very good. The one who made us is telling us all these good things about who we are. And our world would go so far in finding the healing it needs if we would only receive these words from from God. If only we would believe God and embrace our identity as he has determined it. As we so vainly try to steer our own course regarding identity, I think think God looks upon us with with enormous grief and and sadness. He sees the hurt that, that we are heaping upon ourselves and upon each other. He sees all the negative, destructive consequences. And, and I really do think he wonders, why don't you just accept who you really are? Why can't you trust me with who you are as, as people, as my beloved creation? Your lives and your relationships, your world would be so much better if you would. Now, I realize that the Christian message goes beyond creation and beyond Eden, okay? I, I know that. I know that we are also broken. Sin has, has broken things, and, and that is part of who we are too. And we're going to talk about that next week. The truth is, <laughs> the sin part of human identity is actually why so much of the world is so resistant to hearing from God about human identity. Uh, sin is why we want to determine identity for ourselves. And so, we realize that, that much of the world is, is not going to want to hear, unfortunately, who God says we are. That's, that's just the fact of it. But you know, some will. Some will. Some have so hurt themselves and others by trying to determine their identity themselves that they will be ready for another option. And, and it is our responsibility as Christ followers to let them know. Now, of course, in order to do that, we first have to understand and embrace who God says we are, ourselves. And and that is the question, really, for us today. Do we? Do you? Uh, Have you let other people and their needs and their opinions determine who you are? Your sense of value and, and your sense of worth. And listen, that can happen very subtly. But very powerfully, two words, social media, okay? You take your identity from what other people think of you online. Have you let other people determine who you are? Have you tried to determine your own identity based on only what you think and what you feel and what you want? If, if so, would you? Beginning today, even, would you listen to who God says you are? Would you let him determine your identity? Uh, It's the first step to peace and contentment and, 
and to becoming who God made us all to be. Father, my prayer is just that. If there is is even one here today who is struggling with identity, uh, struggling with with what their worth, what their value is, um, who they are, who they need to be, Lord, would you, through your spirit, speak powerfully to them? And would you let them know who they are in your sight? Would you let them take these words of of Genesis 1 deep, deeply to heart so that they might be able to turn themselves fully over to you, that they might turn their identity over to you and be who you say that they are. And Lord, help us all, help us all as we struggle with this, as our society pushes against us here and there in these ways. Lord, help us, remind us of who you are, who we are before you, and who you say we are in your word. Teach us more about this as we go through these Sundays to come. In Christ's name, amen.